Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. When I was young and someone told me I threw like a girl, my dad taught me to say, what exactly is it that you thought I was? I did indeed throw like this girl. And I ran like this girl, and I argued like this girl, and I cried like this girl. And sometimes that was floppy, and sometimes that was fierce, and sometimes that was timid, and sometimes that was excessive, but I was myself, just who God made me. I am a female image bearer of God. I embrace my gender and celebrate who God made. I call this radical act feminism. I embrace the term feminist because feminism is the idea that women are people too. I don't know why this word is a scandal, in the church of all places. Shouldn't the church be leading the conversation? Our church, who claims to have such a fervent commitment to human dignity and human rights, women are valuable to Jesus and should therefore be valuable to followers of Jesus. He died for the whole church, you know. We are equally called to impact the nations by making his love known. Why aren't all Christians feminists? I know feminism can be a polarizing term because people have done some pretty wonky things in the name of it, but I use the term anyway because Christians have done some pretty wonky things in the name of Christianity too. I use the term anyway because people have done some pretty wonky things in the name of pro-life, and yet here I am, a Christian, pro-life, and a feminist. I've been told this is called intersection. The feminists I know do not hate men. The feminists I know don't want to be men. The feminists I know are wise, calm, authoritative, and compassionate. But they are a little, well, fed up. Because here's the thing. I care deeply about justice and unity and giftings and women. And I believe in the body of Christ leading together to build his kingdom in his name and for his glory. There is an expansive way to lead, and we're missing it. We are a church deprived of desperately needed leaders, and gender is irrelevant to leadership. There are women who are called to lead, who are not getting opportunities to lead because people in power rarely want to give it up. There are snippets of scripture being used as a blanket, being applied universally to all women everywhere. And while we cover up women with a few words from Paul— Instead of liberating them with the ministry of Jesus Christ, we miss out on the unique gifting of the feminine genius in church leadership, arguably where this world needs our genius the very most. There are so many insights, so many new ways of looking at things, so much passion that the church misses out on because we've made the epistles Torah. Women are going to use their gifts somewhere. Wouldn't we rather it be to make our church more loving, more effective, We are called and qualified, and the church isn't benefiting. I get weary of debates and polarizing language. I have no desire to add my voice to the roar of rage in this culture. 
We keep thinking that our rage gives us permission to brandish our whip and clear out the temple like Jesus, but all we really are, with planks in our eyes or a bunch of Peters lopping off ears. We are told to take up our crosses, not our whips. So every time I hear the familiar phrase, smash the patriarchy around feminist issues, I wonder if there isn't a more gentle way to have this conversation that doesn't reduce anyone to a cartoon description of their gender. Surely we can manage this as we make a stronger commitment to celebrating more than half the church and make space for the full representation of God. As a teacher, as a preacher, I don't want to force myself into the scene with overtly aggressive language. But I also don't want to sit around and wait to be tolerated by men who have given me permission to use my God-given gift. Certainly, there is something more holy in between. I don't want to be invited or allowed. I don't want to smash anything either. I just want to be free of barriers as I answer the calls God gives me. And there shouldn't be anything scandalous about that. Let women be women. Seen, heard, valued, appreciated, loved well, listened to by men and women. Let us claim a freedom that has been ours all along. There are four reasons women's roles in the church should become a topic we all care about. The first is that our churches are in crisis. Culture wars, predators, declining membership, consumerism, relativism, abuse, misogyny. We desperately need women to problem solve. The second is that in the creation narrative, men and women were both given an equal responsibility to bear God's image, to have dominion or rule over creation, and to be fruitful. The third reason is that women were crucial in leading Jesus' movement in the very beginning, so they should be as crucial in doing so now. And lastly, the New Testament does not say the Spirit's gifts are gender-specific. Gender is irrelevant when it comes to leadership. Gifts are distributed by the Spirit to both men and women as God sees fit. I love my church, and I'm thankful for my place in it. I love women, and I believe in their giftings. As we love one another well, as we become our sister's keeper, as we seek to be iron to iron, shouldn't we be championing each other's gifts? Because church, no one knows the needs of women better than other women. Shouldn't leadership in the church reflect the diversity of its members? From the book of John, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is my friend Emily. We've been friends for 21 slash three years. Emily is passionate about growth. She writes neatly about messy things and always, always tells the truth. Emily! Allison! I love having you on the show. I love being on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're so great. I, wh- what I love um, is that the, the element of, of calmness and rationale and <laughs> wisdom that you bring. I just feel like you level us all out with wisdom <laughs> and truth. You. Um, you first came on, I think it was season two, but you talked about so graciously and generously and honestly your divorce. And then you came on in season three and talked about forgiveness. And both episodes are just widely dispersed. You're just a fan favorite. So thank you so much for coming back. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Um, So the revolution of love can look a lot of different ways. Yes. What I love about you and me is that it so often looks the same. (laughs) 
I feel like we started out writing uh-huh. together and even kind of at the same time. Uh-huh. And then we started, that led to some speaking opportunities. Uh-huh. Yes. And I, I feel like we're also passionate about the same things today. Namely, uh-huh. we're going to be talking about women in the church yes. and women preaching. Uh-huh. Um, but, but there's more to that story, too. I feel like we're both passionate about truth-telling in a yes. really healthy way. We're both mm-hmm. passionate about uh, mental health, like just yes. really taking charge of, of your own mental mm-hmm. health and dealing with woundedness. So um, it, you always make for a great conversation. Cool. But let's dive into um, some women teaching issues. Sure. Um, I would love to hear your personal journey with how you've started um, teaching and preaching. Sure. Um, so I went to... Um, get a master's in religious studies when I was, I had moved to Connecticut and, um, to be completely honest, I needed to be in grad school because I was losing my mind. Mm. Um, and that was the only, um, program that I was interested in the, that the application deadline had not passed before we moved. And uh-huh. so I ended up, but, <laughs> here we are, here I am. <laughs> um, but it was providential in so many different ways. I was able to really immerse myself in things that I had always been passionate about and found fascinating. Um, I got to work with this incredible, um, professor who became my thesis advisor, uh, and just really dig deeply into things that I love Mm. so much. Um, so it was a true, just absolute pure gift. Um, and from there I met a woman, um, she was just coming into the program as I was leaving my classwork. Um, but she ended up, I was able to get a job, um, because of her, she was the head of the department at a school that needed a social justice teacher. And so Mm. she hired me to do that. Um, and that was really the beginning of learning how to, I had done talks and given things before, but that was the first time I found myself in a real established teaching role. And I was writing curriculum for things and, um, working with students. And if you've never, I've heard that expression that, if you really want to know how to do something, teach it to somebody else. Right. Um, and so that was definitely incredibly formative for me to work. I worked at an all girls Catholic school outside New York city. Um, and which was, we came at our, um, teaching in the religious studies department from a fairly progressive viewpoint, um, but still very in line with Catholic, um, theology and, um, I actually became Catholic, um, while I was in grad school. And so it was just, that was such an incredible period of formation for me as I was helping to form, you know, these younger women in some ways. Um, so then I got divorced and it did not feel consistent for me to continue, um, practicing Catholicism, which it had been hard for me to become Catholic because I was raised as an Episcopalian. My mm-hmm. mother is a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a lot of ways I had really worked through my feelings about some of the Catholic doctrine, mm-hmm. um, around women in leadership positions. Um, but there was so much about Catholicism that I loved, particularly mm-hmm. Catholic social justice teachings sure. and, um, that I, that, it, you know, it kind of, tilted the balance and I had joined that tradition and felt mm-hmm. great about it. But then I got divorced and I was like, I want to be where I can take communion without feeling like, you know, any kind of conflict in my own mm-hmm. soul about that. 
So I went back to the Episcopal Church, um, which has been incredibly life-giving to me, and I'm grateful um, so much for the way that that has, you know, picked me up and wrapped itself around me in mm. some of my weaker, you know, weakest moments, and um, all the incredibly loving people. Um, hospital for the sick. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, just the church is the place for the weary and wounded, and I am so grateful for the people who just welcomed me with mm-hmm. open arms. Um, but in that, I also got divorced and then moved back to Texas from Connecticut. And I had been working, um, doing some college, not ministry, but I was working with a Cayo chapter, um, in Connecticut. I knew I wanted to continue with college kids. I reached out to the priest who was the, um, minister for the college ministry at Rice. Um, I met him when I was here on a house hunting trip and he, you know, again, just kind of pulled me right in. It was like, it would be great to have another voice. A Catholic priest? This was an Episcopal priest. Uh Sorry, let me, Uh yeah. Um, and he, his name is Patrick Hall and he said it would be, you know, it would be great to have another voice, another, um, person to help with leadership and, you know, maybe you could even preach sometimes. And I, this is like within an hour of meeting me and I was kind of like, yeah, okay, mm -hmm, sure. Um, thinking that'll never happen. Um, and then sure enough, I came back and a few months into the fall semester, he said, okay, here's the, you know, there's a Sunday that would work if you would like to preach. And I said, yeah, sure. That's fine. Okay. And then as it got closer, I looked at the scripture and it was Mark 10, (laughs) Jesus is teaching on divorce. And I thought, (laughs) okay, (laughs) wow, this is, um, all right. I'm going to have to give my very first like sermon on a text where Jesus says that divorce is not what God intended. And I just got divorced. Think is barely dry. Um, so that was, uh, that was a little bit rough. Um, but what I found, you know, when I, when I got into it, the thing about preaching, um, that always gets me is that it's this mix of, you know, teaching and instruction. And so what I have done learning about the Bible and learning, you know, different things to kind of help, you know, people understand. Um, but then also I think the best preachers really do give of themselves. Mm. And so I was really honest about Mm. my divorce in appropriate ways for that audience. Mm -hmm. Like preaching that sermon was one of the first times that I really intentionally thought about the audience. Mm -hmm. When I write, a lot of times I just write what I want to write. Um, and when I taught school, you know, clearly I was teaching, I was teaching to my audience, but preaching was different Mm -hmm. because I wasn't trying to get them to learn anything I was going to put on a test or ask them to write a paper about. I was trying to touch their hearts Mm -hmm. and grow myself in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a really beautiful moment. I was shaking the entire time. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is this little chapel, um, you know, standing behind a lectern for a pulpit. Um, but there was something, um, so powerful for me personally about that moment. Um, and afterwards I kind of joked in the sermon that 
I'm definitely, I think you and I are similar in calling out the elephant in the room and I was pretty quick to say, all right, so for the first sermon I ever have to preach, it's about divorce and I just got divorced. So we're just going to go ahead and go there. Um, But Patrick came up later and he said, you know, you could have easily, there's in um, Episcopal churches and Catholic churches, they're assigned readings for every Sunday, and there's always a gospel, but there's always a psalm, and there's always a reading from, you know, Old Testament and some of the epistles, and he was like, you could have easily punted. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you you could have preached on any of those other things, or you could have just thrown it back to me and said, no, I'm not doing it. Um, and he said, I'm, I'm really proud of you mm-hmm. that you did. Um, and that meant the world to me. And then people came up to me later. There was a couple there that were engaged and they were, you know, going to be getting married in a few months. And they stopped me afterwards and said how much, you know, my words had meant to them and Mm. how they helped them think about what the decision they were making, the promises they were making to each other. Um, And it just, even people who didn't necessarily take the time to say something to me about it, I know from future conversations that they words settle into people's hearts differently Mm -hmm. when they come from that space. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was very grateful that I had had that experience and not looking to repeat it anytime soon. Um, but Patrick was great about inviting me every so often. And, um, so I, I would preach a, th- a handful of times each semester, um, and you just know, or I just knew at that point that there were things that I was able to access in my relationship with God and in mm-hmm. my relationship with Jesus, same thing, but um, that I, I would not have done if I had not been called upon right. to stand in that place right. Right. and that people would not have heard mm-hmm. in the same way right. if I had given the same talk mm-hmm. at, in a different forum, in a different place, mm-hmm. it would not have connected with people yeah. in the same way. Um, so those, those were two of the bigger moments leading up until this last spring and, um, Patrick was called into ministry, um, in a parish. And so there was about, um, an eight week, uh, gap between when an interim could, or I'm sorry, when the new missioner could start and when he needed to start his new ministry in his new parish. And he said, I'm going to, if you're okay with it, I'm going to make it so that you preach all those eight Sundays. And he said, I'll have another priest come in to do communion. And he said, but I want you to preach because you know the community. It's not, you know, just having some visiting preacher who doesn't know the kids. And I'd been, or students, I'd been involved with them for, in some cases, years. And so he said, if you're, you know, if you're all right with it, we'll, I'll do it that way. So I said, okay, sure. (laughs) And, um, I should say that although in the Episcopal Church it is perfectly um, acceptable, acceptable for women to be ordained, um, I am not. I'm a lay 
minister, um, and there is a process that people have to go through to be licensed lay ministers. So okay. Patrick was bending the rules to let me preach in the okay. first place. And so for this new plan um, to have you know, the blessing of the bishop, he had to do some you maneuvering. Be official. Yes, exactly. So there were, you know, I had to submit some things and um, do a little back and forth with some stuff. But he did get it worked out um, for me to have a temporary um, license as a lay minister or lay preacher. Um, and so I preached for eight weeks during from the Sunday before Ash Wednesday all the way through to Easter. Easter was our last Sunday of the semester. And it, again, wow. Yeah, the timing was unreal. And I had to dig very deep to bring those sermons out week after week after week. The whole process itself was transformational. I don't know that any particular one was necessarily, you know, quite as significant as the Doubting Thomas sermon, but just the, in this case, it was the continued effort yeah. of, um, and seeing the students, we would meet for lunch during the week, using the sermon on Sunday to respond to their needs and their concerns. Um, it was unbelievably um, transformative for me in terms of understanding the role that preaching has in the person's spiritual life mm -hmm. and what it feels like to be the person to fill that role, mm -hmm. even in a limited way. Right. You are certainly a gifted communicator and not tapping into that gift, not sharing that gift, um, burying that talent. Um, that gift would certainly be a huge loss for the church. I feel like conversations around women teaching and preaching are often um, misguided or unwise or missing some crucial piece of the puzzle. And, and so I don't, I, I want to really try our best mm -hmm. to, to hit all angles. Um, and I, because I feel like a lot of times um, when you have people on each side of this issue yes. on whether it's, I, I feel like the fundamentalist view or the traditionalist view um, can often send a message that it's this way or, or, or no way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. and then it's like your faith gets called into question. If, mm -hmm. if you, if you question that, or if you wrestle with that, mm -hmm. um, it's all of a sudden we're unorthodox or when the truth is that for me, it's because of a love for Jesus and it's because yes. of a love for scripture right. that, uh, and, and it's a because, because of, um, a conviction that I'm invited to wrestle with God. Yes. I am invited to wrestle with God. I'm thinking of, uh, right now of, of Jacob and, mm -hmm. and God yes. in this wrestling uh -huh. match uh -huh. and God decides that the match is over. Uh -huh. He decides it's over and he like, breaks Jacob's hip or something yeah. and says, you know, yeah. let me go. Right. And, and Jacob's in a lot of pain and he says, not until you bless me. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Isn't that amazing? Yes. There's something I so mysteriously, I've chose mm -hmm. because there's something so mysteriously generous about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And then God names him Israel. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. so I feel like we are, um, really called upon mm -hmm. to, to ask these questions of God, to yes. even make requests. What a glorious mm -hmm. thing. So my question to you is, do you feel called to do this? Yes. And I, I do. And that it's like, I'm kind of getting goosebumps <laughs> to say that out loud because, mm. um, 
I do. And I think that I have spent a lot of my life avoiding that. And it's hard for me to say that because I did grow up in the Episcopal Church and I, you know, am part of that now where that path is open to me in ways that it's not to a lot of women. But I am also someone who deeply loves the Bible and scripture. And I, I know where people come from when they feel like that isn't a woman's role. And so I've wrestled a lot with this question of like, do I, even when I would stand up and preach before, and I knew that, you know, technically in that tradition, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I still would kind of think like, do I belong here? Part of what gets thrown around is that women want power or they want to be in the pulpit because they want to be, you know, these strident voices. And I wanted to be anywhere but Mm. the pulpit. Mm -hmm. I was perfectly happy sitting in the back row. Um, But when called up by Patrick in a personal way and feeling the the answer within me to say yes yeah you know I guess what what bothers me about that um you know when when women are called power hungry or Mm -hmm. status seeking Mm -hmm. um because they want to teach or preach men are so rarely accused of that I know yeah (laughs) I know when was the last time you asked a man like you know did you did you become a priest because you wanted to be powerful or because you wanted to serve it's the assumption that they want to serve as speaking engagements arise for me, mm-hmm. um, I have often felt self-indulgent uh-huh. for accepting them. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's something I deeply wanted to do. Uh-huh. And yet answering that or doing that because it was what I wanted, mm-hmm. um, it felt like the noble thing to do to turn it down. And what mm-hmm. I'm rediscovering mm-hmm. is that when it comes to our wants and our desires, mm-hmm. if we can put them plainly before the Lord, I will never forget. I know that I've talked about this on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. I had a dear friend pound her fist at me on a table and say, what do you want? Yeah. And um, it was just, it was powerful because she made me say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, right. It's not. She made me say <laughs> right. it. You have to say and it the kindness <laughs> that it was received with from uh-huh. my dear friend mm-hmm. is the same kind. I mean, I, I so um, often experience the tenderness of God mm-hmm. in my relationships mm-hmm. um, with other women in friendship. But when we think about, you know, what it is that we want, I feel like so often we're afraid to put it plainly because we're afraid that God's going to say, that's the one thing you can't have. Uh Or Uh if, you know, when we think about the things that we most fear, Uh we're afraid God's going to say, and that's the one thing you must do. And so when you think about that approach to parenting, (laughs) Uh I'm sorry, that is awful. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. Your one desire, no way. Your deepest fear, here we go. Uh Like, we'll be parents that way. You know? And so, you know, understanding this mysterious kindness, like this overwhelming Mm -hmm. generosity of God has led me to realize that me just squashing that gift, it's not noble. It's just right. living dishonestly. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I, 100%. And there's just yeah. so much celebration in that, mm-hmm. in that realization, in that rediscovery of a God who wants to wrestle. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Absolutely. And just the whole understanding of humility and what that looks like, that doesn't look like sitting there and saying, oh no, you know, not me. And you know, you do, the Bible is full of people that God called on and they're initially like, wait, what? You don't really want me. Moses is the one that comes to mind, but I know, you know, there are lots of others too where they're, uh, Gideon is another one who's great. Um, he, gets God to jump through all these hoops like well, let's just test this one yeah, more yeah, yeah. time yeah. you know if you really mean it <laughs> let's do it one more time and God is so patient with him and says you know and just does it again and does it again reaffirms yes yeah. you are the one I want you are the one I want yeah. um, and I think that that is definitely what he's had to do with me yeah. um, around things and I don't know I mean I don't know how to act that out really I'm a single mom with three children um one in college and two more at home and Mm -hmm. I don't know what it looks like to follow a call Mm -hmm. um but to know that I feel one and to be able to claim it is enough for now and then with one yes at a time yeah oh I love that exactly um okay well so you brought up scripture let's talk about scripture because I gotta tell you I feel like we're not that far out of Easter but I, every year I, I sit and I listen to the resurrection Mm -hmm. account. Mm -hmm. I listen to the resurrection Mm -hmm. being proclaimed and I can't understand the Mm -hmm. unwillingness Mm -hmm. that churches have because clearly the women were entrusted to be the one to go tell those scared Yes. And, and, and separated and mm-hmm. scattered disciples. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yes. They were yes, entrusted they were. with that message. And we know that the first evangelist was the woman at the well. Yes. Uh-huh. And so I see mm-hmm. women in these positions of, of mm-hmm. going and telling the others. And mm-hmm. Jesus is so rarely calling after them. Wait, wait. Just just the what? children. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Just the other women. You know, just. Yeah. yeah. No, he doesn't. He doesn't draw that boundary. And he's certainly not saying, if those people could just discover who I am by your willingness to organize a bake sale. <laughs> yes. And by the way, there is zero things wrong with organizing no. a bake sale or teaching the children. It's Absolutely. just not big enough. Right. And it's not... I I resist things that try to put people in boxes, period. Mm, yeah. Um, to... To... There are men who could run a bake sale that would absolutely blow everyone away. It would be Pinterest worthy. (laughs) It would be absolutely perfect. Um, but we have this expectation that that's, you know, someone else's job. And yeah, for women, I, the people that I know who can pull off things like that and who have, those gifts, they are so needed and so necessary. Absolutely. This um, is a typical Martha and Mary moment. Absolutely. And yeah. I would never, ever want to minimize the contribution that anybody makes to the body of Christ. Yes. But don't Amen. minimize mine. Oh. You know? Girl. <laughs> Drop it. <laughs> um, okay. So so let's, let's talk about Paul real quick because mm-hmm. he does tell us, we love you, Paul. Um, in sec- in First Timothy um, chapter two, he says that a woman should learn in quietness and in full submission. I don't permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And so, so people people take this one verse and, and use it um, as an argument for mm-hmm. for keeping women quiet in um, sacred spaces. Mm-hmm. We, you know, when we first 
were talking about doing this episode, I thought a lot, you know, some of the conversation we had about scriptures and stuff, I actually was a little bit panicked in thinking, <laughs> I don't, I, I feel like I should go through the entire Bible and, <laughs> and, and flag all the different things, you know, places where women are. And then we can are, tally them up right? and see who wins. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or it's sort of like, I can pull out some obscure prophet and say, but she was a woman and look, she, you know, was able to give advice to the King of Judah. And, but, and I think that Paul, that is scripture and we can't ignore it and we have to wrestle with it. But I also think that there is scripture for anything that you want to prove. If you come to the Bible with an agenda, like slavery, exactly, exactly. (laughs) The things that he says, were so badly misused for so long. And I just, mm-hmm. if you come to the Bible with an agenda, you're going to find verses that support your mm-hmm. position, whatever mm-hmm. that position mm-hmm. may be. Mm-hmm. Instead of coming to the Bible and with a spirit of compassion for people who see it differently, with a spirit of wanting to understand um, what in the all the, all that we can learn about the context and what the, I mean, right. we can get into it and explain, well, this is what he probably really meant. Right, and right. This is why he was saying that to this group of people. They were dealing with this specific thing. Yes. And, um, you know, all, and that is a common, yeah. commonly held belief. Many scholars, first of all, these are letters yes. written to very mm-hmm. specific people. And there's mm-hmm. very specific details in the letters. Like, yes. Hey, I forgot my cloak. Yes. You know, or mm-hmm. like, I forgot how many people I baptized. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. You know, there's very specific things, which is mm-hmm. You know, yes, when you, I know. When you read it's it like that, isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. I, know. I love that. I do too. Um, and so there, there, a lot of people um, think and suggest that there was one group of women, the, mm-hmm. the churches in Ephesus and Corinth attracted a lot of women, a lot mm-hmm. of widows. Mm-hmm. And so these women were influenced, influenced by, by Roman, um, fertility culture uh-huh. and that there was a group of women mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. that were, um, misbehaving, frankly, uh-huh. sure. <laughs> they uh-huh. were promiscuous. They uh-huh. were lewd. They were going uh-huh. door to door. And so really what Paul was trying to do is say, quit misrepresenting the gospel, right? You're messing yes. up the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so I think a good question to ask is because Paul, by the way, praised Phoebe, who was mm-hmm. a deaconess. Yes. Um, you know, he had lots of wonderful things to say about Timothy's mother. He had mm-hmm. wonderful, by the way, the most radical thing he ever said was mm-hmm. there's neither male nor female, exactly. slave nor I Jew. Know. That was the radical thing he said in the time. Mm-hmm. This thing about, hey, women, can you be quiet? That was not radical. Well, it's just <gasps> that we, you know, we we can look at it in context and sort of yes. throw some... And if Paul... Oh, oh, this is what I was going to say real quick. So, mm-hmm. but if Paul, if you were to ask Paul the question... Mm-hmm. Does it advance the gospel or not? Mm-hmm. What would Paul have to say about that? Does it advance the gospel? Mm-hmm. I think Paul would give a hearty heck yes. Uh-huh. You For know? women to be able to preach. Does it advance yes. the gospel? Yes. Because, yeah. because the truth is, is that we are still in Pentecost desperate times mm-hmm. to advance the gospel. Mm-hmm. We are still in that place. Mm-hmm. So, um, I... I have to work to be a friend of Paul. Mm-hmm. He's yes. he's a little zealous for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, let's put it this way. I would have taken Peter's side. I know. 
<laughs> yes, I would have. I would have said, "Okay, you, I, I'm glad that you're here now at the party and not holding the coats when people are stoning Stephen." But yeah, you you go ahead and you do your thing, and I'm going to sit over here. But I do, I do love Paul for yeah. his radicalness in to, mm-hmm. saying such bold things in this mm-hmm. time. Well, one one thing that I always and I, I've told you before we started that I'm reading the Bible in 90 days with the Bible study. And it is incredible uh, to engage with the scripture that way. Um, and right now we're still very much in the old Testament. I think I'm up to Chronicles or something. Um, and what I'm, what keeps getting hammered home to me is what a radical conversion Jesus was, mm. what he brought to this society that had a relationship with God that was, you know, very legalistic and very, um, conditional and all of these different, you know, things, Jesus completely, completely radically changes things. And then you see that with Peter, that God just changes his heart Mm -hmm. and shows him that, his gospel is meant for the world. It's mm-hmm. not meant for a small group of people. Mm-hmm. And then you have Paul's conversion too. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the messages of the New Testament in particular is that conversion, that change from what it was to what it can be. Right, right. And I think if we put these strict limits, because that's what they needed at that time, yeah. because, you know, to birth something completely new into yeah. the world, you don't. It, it's a process. It takes different, yeah. you know, There's measured steps. Yeah. And so I think that just to, to call a total halt on something, mm-hmm. um, it denies the movement of the new Testament, which mm-hmm. is, which is conversion and change. Yeah. And a lot of times I wish that there was some easy scripture that we could point to yeah. that counter acted it or that there was, you know, some clear instruction about, no, no, you can let that part go. Mm -hmm. You know, it's fine, but that's not the way of faith. It's to wrestle. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. You wouldn't. And I, I I love, I love this point because anytime scripture gets confusing for for me, it's always to go to Jesus, the living Mm -hmm. word. Yeah. He is the living word. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? Because with all due respect, I don't follow Paul. Right. I follow Jesus. Right. And so the the truth of the matter is that Jesus was born of a woman, Mm -hmm. needed a woman, Mm -hmm. ate from a woman, Mm -hmm. um, invited women into his circle as, as friends and as funders. Um, I, I love that always to Mm -hmm. return Mm -hmm. back to the one who refused to play by the rules, but didn't break any laws. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, I know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so in, in a lot of ways he wasn't fighting, Mm -hmm. um, with the culture, but he did disarm it and Mm -hmm. he was radical. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so what do you wish? Emily, what do you wish? I wish I loved what you said when we got started about people considering this an either or mm-hmm. kind of question. Mm-hmm. I wish that there were more opportunities that were given really valid um, weight and authority for women to step into the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know, you don't, you don't have to go all the way to having ordained priests like the Episcopalians do. You could, you know, some path to giving women, um, an opportunity to exercise this kind of leadership. Um, and I think that there's, 
um, a lot of room for more productive conversations around this that mm-hmm. are built on compassion and wanting to understand mm-hmm. and overcome fear mm-hmm. rather than just shutting someone down mm-hmm. because that's what, no, this has been decided. This is done. There's no conversation needed here. Right, right. So yeah, I wish more pathways and more, um, dialogue. I, in, in my church that I love, that I feel as committed to as I do my marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I am working for change and I recognize that that is not going to be swift. Right. <laughs> Currently, only synod fathers are allowed to vote. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, it's not necessarily ordained, like mm-hmm. that you have to be ordained to vote because there are superior generals mm-hmm. of male religious orders uh-huh. that are allowed to vote. Now, okay. you can be a superior general of a female religious order, and yet you are not allowed to vote. Uh-huh. So, literally, the only distinguishing factor between those that can vote and those that cannot mm-hmm. is gender. Mm-hmm. And all I'm asking for right now, mm-hmm. because I agree with you that there are measured steps mm-hmm. to change. All I'm asking for right now is that we name that mm-hmm. and that we say it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. That the only distinguishing factor, right. women, and especially at a time of crisis in my church, mm-hmm. yes. um, at, for a culture shift, mm-hmm. women need to be in places where decisions are being made. That's what I wish. That's oh, what I'm working I, for. <laughs> and I remember when I, I wrote this paper when I was in grad school, and it was the, um, I think the class was ethics and recent papal teaching. And it, I wrote the paper at the same time that I was going through RCIA, and it was this really tortured, and thank mm-hmm. goodness my professor didn't totally give up on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, um, it was this sort of tortured process of, thinking, can I really do this? Can I really embrace this tradition? And one of the things I said was that, you know, choosing to become Catholic meant giving up a church where some of the people at the table looked like me. Mm. And I, I don't think that it's grasping for power to want that. Mm -hmm. We are part of a body of Christ. Sure. We are part of a community and it the is image an, of God. It is an, an image, image bearer. <laughs> and yeah. and to see that is powerful. Yeah. And I think one of the priests um at the church where I grew up, she became a priest not long after they started ordaining women and her first she and her husband were both priests at my church and their first Sunday, um, she showed up and she was like eight months pregnant or something with her first child. So the first woman priest I ever saw was out to hear pregnant. And as a child, that just absolutely, I'll never forget that. And I'm still in touch with her. She's a priest in Houston now. And, um, it just made me feel like I had a different, God saw me in a different way. Representation matters. Absolutely. It does matter. It matters. I, it matters a lot. There were um, a group of women uh, outside the Vatican and they were peacefully protesting mm-hmm. um, a change in, in voting. And um, they, were, they were saying, knock, knock, who's there? 
more than half the church. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so during this time of, of deep need for our church, there's, there's so much historical evidence that there were female deaconesses yes. in, in the church. Mm-hmm. And so one of the arguments of why they no longer exist was that a lot of their responsibilities, although I can't believe that it was their only responsibility, mm-hmm. um, so much of um, ancient baptisms mm-hmm. were done naked. Oh, And so it was to comfortably baptize the naked adult converts to Christianity. I never knew that. So that was one of their responsibilities. And so one of the arguments of why there are no longer deaconesses is that when we started baptizing babies Mm -hmm. instead of adults, then there was no no longer a need. Mm -hmm. Okay. If that's true, and if that was their only role, mm-hmm. let's just say that it was only because of a need and that need no longer exists. I would say the need exists. Absolutely. We absolutely yes. need that representation, mm-hmm. that feminine genius mm-hmm. in our leadership. Mm-hmm. And even though there are endless debates about um, what women can and cannot do for Jesus, the truth is, is that we're only utilizing half the church. Right. And how is that advancing the gospel right. during a really desperate time? Absolutely. The other thing, too, that I learned from my experience of preaching was how it shaped me and shaped yeah. my faith. Right. I didn't come. Being led to holiness. Absolutely. Yeah. It, um, and, and to deny women who feel called to that yeah. the opportunity to have mm-hmm. their faith shaped in that mm-hmm. way, that is a real yeah. limitation yeah. on someone's spiritual growth in yeah. their soul. That yeah. that is not I feel that insignificant deeply. too. Mm-hmm. You know, there's um, what it produces in you is important as well. Emily, I'm so thankful for your example and the inspiration that you give. Um, how can people find you? Um, I have a blog that I haven't posted to recently. Yeah, (laughs) but it's brilliant and you can spend many nights going through archives. Well, thank you. And I will, I am going to get back on that. And it's, um, emilyimprovising.com because I have to improvise most of the time. Um, and then I also have a Instagram with the same. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for sharing your heart. You have a talent for expressing things and then enacting things, making things happen. You have, you have a talent for questioning things and looking into things deeply. And I'm so grateful that I get to walk with you as a sister. Thank, Thank you so much. I'm going to put one of your sermons, if you don't okay. mind, as, sure. a, as the mini episode. Awesome. That would be great. Yeah. Yay. Thank Yay. you. Thanks, Thank Emily. You. Thanks, self. best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Hi, Beefy. Good morning. What you doing? Um trying to find a spot in this house where I can talk to you <laughs> without babies walking like pterodactyls, but a strong internet connection, you know. Um, I like it. 
like it. So I feel like we um, explained to the kind listeners why we call each other beefy, maybe in season one, episode one. And then we just mm-hmm. kind of let that pass. And now they're like, so what's her name? Um, mm-hmm. No, no, no. I like run into people with you and they think my real name is beefy, I think. <laughs> and they're like, that's so strange. So um, <laughs> the short version is that best friend divided in half per the James Avery um, heart necklace is beef fry and then Saint end. And so we started calling each other beef fry, which shortened to beef, which affectionately became beefy. And here we are. Which you thought was extra hilarious because I'm a vegetarian. I can remember the day, like you sent me a text and was like, beef. And there was like an emoji of meat. Yes. (laughs) This is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we have, I love this question and I love this person because this is what she says. Are you ready? Ready. She says, Allison Sullivan, this question is for you. As passionate as you are about women and with your many gifts and talents for teaching, how in the world do you stay Catholic? Ah, I love it. It's a great question. Boom. Boom. I love this question. Thank you, listener, for asking. Um, so I started reading about the Catholic Church when I fell in love with my husband, and there were some things that would not let me go, and none of them were really the church's position around women. The things that wouldn't let me go... Um, <laughs> were about the Eucharist and how enticing and mysterious and magical and even kind of dark that teaching was. There was, I couldn't get my head around it. And there were ways of connecting to the Lord, whether it was through um, using my brain to diagram out a sermon or using my heart to praise the Lord and praise and worship. Those experiences made me feel like I was on top of the world. And I still love connecting with the Lord those ways. But there was something about reading um, about the Eucharist that made me feel small. And I didn't feel like I was on top of the world at all. In fact, I felt feeble and and needy and, and just this very earnest desire to understand. I just knew that I wanted in. And so um, it's really for a love of the Eucharist and the physical presence of Christ in our church that um, has just captured my heart and, and kept me there for sure. So it's really about Jesus. There's so much about my church that I love, and there's something to me about staying in and being refined by one church as opposed to this shopping and hopping that is so common in our culture of consumerism. And I don't mean any of that. Please do not misunderstand that to mean that I think my church is perfect because it is so far from perfect as evidenced by well, a lot of things. Right. Um, there are there are problems. There are systemic problems. But I value grit, and I value sticking it out. And if my church is in crisis, I want to be the one to help it back up. And I, yes, I have opinions on how to do that, and they absolutely include women in leadership, more women in leadership. It's enough cheerleading. It is time for a seat at the table. And because right now women can't even vote in my church and I'm going to keep yelling about that until we are all appropriately appalled. But as as far as what's used to keep women from positions of teaching, I think that Paul was using very specific language to very specific people about a very specific problem. And this is his language in Timothy that I'm talking about. And he was trying to protect the gospel from untrained teachers. And we know in other parts that Paul celebrated Junia and Priscilla and Phoebe. And I think that Paul would absolutely encourage any gifted, any trained woman to further the gospel. And Jesus certainly did. 
Jesus certainly empowered women to go be the tellers. And if that's debatable, then we're just not reading the same Bible. But I guess to answer your question, if, you know, we are, we are currently utilizing half the church. We are missing out on so many gifts and we are not taking full advantage, full advantage of the feminine genius. And we are using a couple of sentences from Paul instead of the ministry of Jesus to justify it all. And it's interesting to me that we don't get hung up on let's greet each other with a holy kiss, you know, like, oh, we can let that go. But this, <laughs> yeah. so is my church perfect? No. Am I committed to her? Yes. Do I feel that I, me, my gifts who God made me. Do I feel like I have a role in making my church better? I, uh, yes, I absolutely do. Is there a better time than now to push for change? I don't think so. And right now for me, it starts with getting women more leadership roles in the Holy Sees administration and getting them a right to vote in major policy meetings. That's my short-term goal. My interim goal is women in the diaconate. So there's, <laughs> there's the long answer to that very simple wow. question. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love your heart and I love your voice and I can't wait to see what you and God do with your passion and fire on this issue. Thanks, Stephenator. By the way, I really came to know Jesus in a personal way in your church when we were in junior high. Mm -hmm. Um, Will you tell us a little bit about um, your beautiful Methodist growing up experience? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, this issue um, is almost hard to talk about because my personal experience is that I had a female pastor during the most pivotal time in my life when um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and um, dying over the course of a year. And so that pastor was just absolutely critical to um, my faith journey then. And I give her credit for Um, helping me to lean into my faith during that time rather than lean away from it. And so that's just my truth and my experience. And so I never really, praise God, had the opportunity to really think about um, not having women as pastors. Now that said, I feel like it's kind of akin to what I do at work all day. Like there's female lawyers, but there's few of us and it's different for us and there's work to be done there. Um, But I, I, like I said, I had that, that influence. And I currently have a female pastor mm-hmm. that just started who I am so excited about and connecting with more um, every Sunday. And um, so that's just, and in such a short amount like, of time has become a mentor of mine. I mean, yeah, that's so, awesome. so incredibly gifted. Wow. She's really, really powerful. So, um, so that's my unique story, but that said, I mean, the Methodist churches that I've gone to have gotten that issue right. But um, like you said, where all of our churches are struggling in some area and we right now are about to splinter over gay and lesbian clergy and marriage. Um, And so, you know, in my opinion, we've got a lot of work to do there. And like you, I want to be a part of that work and and, um, support my church and, and encourage it in the way that I think that Jesus would have us go. Amen. Thanks, Beefinator. Love you. Amen. Love you. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. I've never met anyone like Mary. Well, technically I've never met Mary. You see we're internet friends, but don't let that fool you. This internet connection runs deep. Mary is so many things all at the same time. With one sentence, she can make me laugh, cry, think, and deeply, deeply feel. There's just something about Mary. You'll see. I am Catholic, 
So the gospel reading at Mass is always read by a priest or deacon, and therefore is always read by a man. I realized this past year that that means I've not heard Mary's fiat when she said yes to the angel of the Lord when he announces she will conceive Jesus. I've never heard that read by a woman. They are probably the single most important words spoken by a mortal human in the history of the world. Think about that for a minute. What Mary's yes to the angel means? The only remotely comparable thing was Abraham's yes to packing up and moving or to sacrificing Isaac. Here we have humanity changing words spoken by a young girl, and I've only ever heard them spoken out loud by men. Don't get me wrong, I love my pastor and our deacons. They are all learned, sensitive, intelligent men. But when I thought about how these words must have sounded originally, I went home and read them aloud to myself. I felt awkward and read quietly and hesitantly, perhaps much the same way a young teenager would have said them originally. I don't think I'll hear them the same way again. Sometimes preaching is done from a pulpit with a large audience or congregation, but sometimes it's done alone in your living room with an audience of one. Lord God, you are the creator. You created us male and female. You are the giver of all good gifts. And in Jesus Christ, you have redeemed the world. We submit to your great wisdom. We honor your divine plans and we praise your mighty name. Guide us, God, as we embrace your creation and lean into our giftings and offer up our yeses. Help us to act justly and walk humbly when it comes to fighting for equality for women, when injustice and the curse of sin has taken it away. While justly and humbly fighting for equality, help us to celebrate the distinction of our femininity. Equality does not mean getting rid of distinction. True equality means celebrating distinction. We celebrate what you've made. In Jesus' time and every formal gathering, women were forbidden to speak. But because of him in the Christian gathering, women were free to pray and prophesy. The gospel did a remarkable thing in reclaiming equality and freedom for women. Reveal your will and give us strength to live it out. As we wrestle with you, God, we acknowledge where we're hurting. And we ask you for our own blessings. Lift us up. Lift us up lift us up. In Jesus' strong name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, a special thank you to Emily Gordon. You can catch more of Emily's writing at emilyimprovising.com and you can follow her on Instagram at emilyimprovising. Thank you to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Thank you to Kristen Kelly and Mary Bishop. For more of Mary's writing, head to madeforordinarytime.wordpress.com. Sinner Saint Sister now has a Patreon page. Please consider supporting Sinner Saint Sister by searching for Allison Sullivan on patreon.com. Many episodes are now only available for patrons. Send us your questions at sinnersaintsister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully. Don't forget to review, like, and subscribe. This episode is Sinner Saint Sister season four finale and we'll be on a short break. Happy Happy summer and we'll see you in the fall.